Welcome to Grace River Church, located in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Our mission is to see every generation experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives. We hope you enjoy today's message. Rebuilding brick by brick is very possible, but it will cost you. It will always cost you. <laughs> we talked about this last week. Um, those things that motivate you, that, that holy discontent that just drives you crazy. You know something's got to change. Now, I'm just, I'm giving you a heads up. I'm, try, I'm being very patient right now to lay the foundation in a good way because I'm already so excited. I'm bad with surprises anyway, so I want to cut right to the present. You know what I'm saying? At Christmas, I've already got my three presents open, you know, and usually somebody else's. So I'm trying to pace myself a little bit this morning, but here's, here's what I'm praying from last week, that something is still nudging you. Something is still bothering you. Not because of how it was said, not because of why something was said. It's just that holy discontent, that, that thing that has to change, that that marriage, that issue, that, that business, that we, we talked about putting the backpacks together. Each one of those bags represents six meals. And we send, um, over a period of a year, we'll send out close to 5,000 meals. Why? Because there's hungry. When I first heard this, I didn't believe it. That right in our community, there are children who don't have anything to eat on the weekends. I won't have that. See, that's holy discontent. It's not that it could change, it's that it, it should change. See, holy discontent is not is looking at your situations and saying, you know, it, it, it could change. No, it's, it's when it gets personal. And God lays something in your spirit, God lays something on your heart, and now it, it, it's not just an, an emotional catharsis that you're just reaching out trying to scratch an itch. You know, sometimes we do things for the Lord and it just scratches an itch. I'm talking about that holy discontent that says, God, I'm not able to sleep good. I'm not able to function because all I can do is think about what you're calling me to do and that thing that you've put in me, that, that seed that you've planted, Lord, it's, it's driving me crazy and God's got well, you prayed for it. So a holy discontent, it's not just a vision, it's not just an idea. It moves you. And so we talked about that last week. And I just want to remind you that <clears throat> whatever your holy discontent is, we're all at different places and, and different spheres and different uh, levels of influence. And I know full well that some of you, the holy discontent is just a conviction of the Holy Spirit possibly drawing you. Wasn't that a powerful testimony that Nick shared about his father-in-law? Now, now we know, and, and believe me, when Nick first told us about his fall, I thought, okay, he, he fell from a ladder, and that could be very difficult. But when he told me I, everything that was broken, we, we really begin to pray, because I'm like, this is not good. But it's amazing how that God's pulled him through, but even beyond that, that every, all the seed that's been planted. See, he's never been to church, but you don't have to be in a building to experience the church and even though he's never been in a physical building, he was just around people and around situations. Um, and Nick doesn't care if I share this. And I'll get Amanda's permission later. <clears throat> but we were at their rehearsal for their wedding. I had the uh, honor of marrying them just a few months ago. 
And as we were at the rehearsal, uh, her family was sitting on the bride's side, and, and Nick's family was sitting on the groom's side. And as we were rehearsing, it was already getting a little emotional. We weren't even doing anything, just showing people where to stand. But just the, the weight of what's happening. <laughs> and her mother very innocently said, hey, would it be okay if we all switched sides so I could see my daughter? Now, without wrecking anybody's theology of a wedding, I said no. And I'll tell you why in a minute. So after the rehearsal, the bridal party all went outside, and I just sat down with the families. I said, listen, really, God's not going to care at some point where you sit. But let me tell you why we do some things the way we do some things. Your daughter represents the church. She's pure. And through Christ, she's clean. Nick, just for today, is going to represent Christ. And so I get to walk, I get to walk Jesus down this white linen cloth, down the middle of this sanctuary, and that the families that are represented here are becoming one through Christ. And that as they become one through Christ, the bride comes to Christ and is made one. That's why we're not changing sides. And afterward, with tears in their eyes at a rehearsal, uh, they're saying, thank you. We had never heard that before. And here's why. You don't have to be in a church service. You don't have to be um, in a revival center. They're all great things, by the way. I'm not anti any of this. But it's just you letting your light be uh, seen by the world around you. Now, I, I say that because the thing that drives me crazy sometimes is we don't get passionate about anything because we fall into a survival mode. What is a survival mode? Make a living, pay the bills. How do I retire? How do I get this house paid off? How do we pay the rent? And you get so focused on just that one thing. Somebody says, God's moving. You don't, not only do you not see it, you don't care. Right? But I want to talk to you about what drove Nehemiah to prayer. Because you can have a holy discontent. You can be miserable about something. But if, if we're not careful, we deal with it in the wrong way. Trying to fix it. Anybody ever try to fix things the wrong way? Listen, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an unlicensed contractor. I'm a non-certified electrician. I know how to fix things the wrong way with my eyes closed, believe me. But I'm, I'm talking about what would it look like, what would it look like if we, if we started crying out to God the right way? And when I talk about prayer today, I already know somebody, if I say, how's your prayer life, palms get sweaty, conviction sets in, and we're already looking for the back door. Don't, don't sweat it, shut the back door. Because really, the, the reality is, um, if, if we're honest with ourselves, and I'm just talking to, to us this morning, your prayer life isn't what it should be. We have what has become known, and, and certainly it's easy for me to identify with, is, is a 9-11 prayer strategy. Our prayer life consists of when life demonstrates powerfully in your face that you're out of control. 
I don't know where you were, and some of you probably were not even born on that day. But if you can remember, I know exactly where I was standing when I saw the towers fall. I was standing in my kitchen in Milford, Delaware, and I saw the towers fall, and I probably felt the same thing you felt, and I probably felt the same thing many all over our nation felt, a, a total sense of helplessness. You can't run up and hold that building up. You can't run in and rescue lives. You're, you're hopeless. You're helpless. You know, it's amazing how on 9-11 days, uh, separation of church and state goes out, goes out the window. All of Congress, the President, everyone on Capitol Hill will stand on the steps and worship and atheists call out to God. Why? Because when you realize you're not in control anymore, you get serious. When you realize you're not as in charge as you thought, you'll get serious. Now, here's our, our challenge in our culture. We all should have 9-11 prayer lives, because we do. But, but what would it look like if we lived a life of prayer? And instead of letting our, our holy discontent just drive us to prayer for one night, what if it drove us to a lifestyle of prayer? What would it look like if now we as the body of believers and body of believers all over this city, we begin to call out in God in, in unity and we begin to walk out what God was calling us to. And whatever that holy discontent was, we were just trusting God. And we're going to look at Nehemiah in just a minute, I promise. What would it look like? How would our neighborhoods change? How would our cities change? And I know we talk about that a lot around here because this isn't about you just getting saved and sitting down. Cities can be transformed in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm praying that the holy discontent God's laying on your heart is not just helping out in the church. I pray if you've got giftings and talents, yes, when we meet here on Sundays, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. But can I tell you what? That there's a lot of things in the world around us that you need to be stepping into and letting God use you in powerful ways. I've got to dig into this a little bit because many of you may know this young man. His name is Sean Foyt. A powerful leader. His dad, before he passed away, was over the missions department at the Noon Life Churches. Sean's a worship leader, had moved out to California, very big in the Bethel movement. But just saw a little article about Sean. This young man is getting ready to run for Congress. And I thought, well, that's, that's odd. I, I always thought he liked to sing. You know, there's nowhere in the application process that says, you can't be a congressman if you can sing. What he did realize is, you know what? I can, I can fly around the world leading people in a song. Or, or like David, I can get involved in a way that uh, we'll always sing, but now I'm going to get involved at a different level where my vote counts in a different way. Because can I tell you, we can, we can gather in church on Sundays. Now I'm talking as a pastor here. Okay? We can gather in church on Sundays and get all excited and say, the world needs to change. And that's all that changes, is the volume. But I wonder what happens when that holy discontent causes you to continue to worship, but in a different way. Now you're, you're running for office. Or are you here about the hungry people in your neighborhood and you decide, I'm not waiting on another government subsidized program. I'm either going to create it or, or become a part of it, but I'm, I'm changing it. 
I'm way off track this morning, but I'll be done in a normal time. My normal time. Um, a good friend of mine, Diane and I, I'm not a name dropper on this, but a good friend of ours, we went to school with him, his name is uh, <laughs> Dale Dyer. And Dale's pastoring in, I believe he's in Savannah, Georgia right now. But he, he, uh, we have another friend who had moved to Atlanta several years ago. And when he moved to Atlanta, he and his wife, he never thought about pastoring a church. And Dale was just sharing this story with me. He never thought about pastoring a church, but he was raised in a pastor's home. But he always looked at the pastor and how they struggled. Man, we're, I, I'm never going to be known. I'm never going to be famous. I'm never, it's going to be just living by faith. And we all know that's a weight loss program, right? Now, here's, here's the reality. He moved to Atlanta and to start a business. And when he moved to Atlanta, he moved into the most difficult side of Atlanta to live. But now, true, you know, just full transparency, most whites didn't live in this part of Atlanta. And here he's a redneck. But he moved down there because they were just helping people. The building was down there, so they would go down there and help people, but people weren't coming. And when he met a few of the, the girls and a few of the men in the church, they were like, why don't people come? He said, why should they? Nobody trusts what you do. And you're only going to be here for about three weeks. Because, number one, you're white. Number two, um, as soon as somebody pulls a gun on you, you're out of here. You have four daughters. But his wife said, you know what, we're only going to make a difference if we move in to the neighborhood. And he said, what? <laughs> we got to move into the neighborhood. They moved into the neighborhood, lived up top of the church, and he just started, in his, in his words, trusting people. Just trusting people. And when he started just trusting people, um, they robbed him a few times. He was held up at gunpoint several times, and he knew the person. They called each other by name. He said, why are you doing this? He said, because I know you have money. He said, but I know who you are. <laughs> and they would bring it back to him weeks later saying, I'm sorry. But now, now listen, they have transformed. They have transformed not only that neighborhood, a businessman finally heard about it uh, about a year or so later, and they had a huge warehouse that he wanted to turn into a housing community to house people while they're developing and being trained for jobs. And the gentleman said, I'll sell it to you for a million dollars. And, well, that might, have been, that, that might as well have been 12 million to any of us. And so he kept just talking. The, the Lord said, keep going back to him. And he would just pre be praying, and the Lord said, I want you to keep going back to him. But Lord, I keep going back, and it's the same. I want you to keep, just obey me and go back to him. Until finally the man, he walked in his office just to say hi, how things are going, what's going on with that building. And the, the first thing out of that man's mouth was, listen, how quick can you close on this building? And he said, I don't have the money. He said, no, I'm donating it to you. It's a tax write-off. I'm donating it to you. It's in pretty rough shape, but I want to give it to you so you can hurry up and start doing what you say you're going to do. But now what you said you're going to do, I want to watch you do it. 
And he said, over the years, he can't tell you how many. He said his biggest complaint now is that he really can't be back down in the dirt with those people because now he's always traveling, telling the story of what God can do. But he looks so forward when that plane lands in Atlanta and he can run back to that neighborhood. Why? Because when there's a holy discontent, there's no place like home. When there's a holy discontent, there, there's no place will help you scratch that itch than being right in the middle. You might call it misery at first, but you'll start to call it home when God starts to move. Now, why do I say that? Can, can I talk for a few minutes this morning? <laughs> why do I say that? When you look at the Old Testament, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written by Moses, a powerful description not a historical book, but a powerful description that leads us up to what we know as Joshua. We did a great study on Joshua this last year. And Joshua talks about the children of Israel. Moses led them out of Egypt, and Joshua leads them into the promised land. Now, as they walk into their promises, God tells them, listen, I want you to defeat the enemy. Now, for you and I, that just means be holy because he is holy. When you live a separate life, you're going you're gonna to realize and start living by the word of God. It's, it's walking it out in such a way that your life will look differently. And it's not about following rules, it's about following him. And, and so Joshua walks us through this powerful illustration of what it is to walk into the promises of God. But the book of Joshua also ends with what it is for Joshua to be teaching and challenging the people. Listen, I'm getting ready to die but I want to challenge you. Follow somebody. It may be the gods before the flood. It may be the gods before the crossing. It may be the gods of the lands that you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will. There's a holy discontent. Not we could. We will serve the Lord. But, but something happens after Joshua. Judges. Now, this doesn't necessarily happen in chronological time. I'm just trying to give you the overview here very quickly. Judges is that time in, in history where we see the Bible tells us that every man did what was right in his own eyes. I know we don't know anybody like that. We've certainly never done that, right? But Judges, and what happens in the books of, book of Judges is time after time, we see the cycle of sin where people are constantly turning their back on God finding themselves in bondage, and then crying out to God, deliver us again, but then not changing. Around and around. And God raises up a judge and brings deliverance. The, the books of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings are primarily written to just not only describe the history going on here, but really to, to describe the decay of how our lives can consensusly be ruined because we choose not to live right. Now, very quickly, the books of Chronicles, uh, we, I, I teach a class, and some of, the, some of you that are here, we talked about this this last week. In the book of Chronicles, that, that's sort of the book written to the exiles who are coming out of bondage, and it leaves out a lot of the bad stuff from 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. Why? Because Chronicles, the writer of Chronicles, wants them to see the promises of where God wants to take them, not them constantly be reminded of their stupidity. That's why we talked about 2 Chronicles last week. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro from all over the world, all over the earth, 
looking for someone whose heart is completely his. Here's what happens when God has your heart. So, so we see the children of exile coming out of bondage. And Nehemiah asked the question. Now, this is the third. Nehemiah is part of the third group to go back. But before he even goes back, there's two. One to build the temple. And then another to go back to start teaching the word. But after almost about 70 years now, Nehemiah looks and his brother comes, Hannah, Hannah comes, and he says, listen, what's going on back there? Tell me what's happening. And they say, well, it's, it's not good. It's not good at all. They're really struggling. And the walls are broken down and the gates are burned with fire. And the Bible in verse 4 says that he, he began to weep and fast and for days prayed and called out to God. And I just want to start reading in verse 4 here. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven and the great awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you today and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are faithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heavens, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen. Listen, I, I just want you to know, you may have people in your life that are so far gone according to your standards. But God says he'll bring them back. That, to that place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. One little part of that verse that I left out because we're going to jump into it next week it says because I was a cupbearer for the king let's talk about this I want us to look at this prayer that, that Nehemiah prayed and I, I just want us to learn just a few things this morning can we do that what, what does Nehemiah teach us in this prayer on prayer we've all heard sermons on prayer right what, what I don't want you to leave here today is with another to do list Go home and pray. Well, you heard that before. But unless there's a 9-11, we just do our own thing. So let's look at some lessons here for a few minutes. First of all, um, prayer gives us a correct view of ourselves. Prayer will give you a correct view of yourself. I think it would be really humorous if we changed the worship songs to what we really mean sometimes. I exalt me. I exalt me. You get the hint.
I am awesome in this place. I am God. Right? Now, we would never sing that. And you, you would never say that out loud. But we know. Now, and I'm, I'm saying that because prayer will cure that. Not, not, not 9-11 prayer. A, a culture of prayer. Because the word tells us he, he did not just pray one time, day and night. What does that tell us? It, it, it gets scary at first, especially when we hear people start quoting Paul out of Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing. Well, how do you do that? I can't even think without ceasing. I, how do you pray without ceasing? How, how do you do things? I can't even... I, I, that's impossible. The, the writer does not mean just start praying and don't stop praying. It means make it so much a part of your life that, that when you have a break, you're talking to God. That, that when, you, when you even just have a moment and just sit down and breathe, you're, you're not waiting for the next emergency. <clears throat> you're just talking. You're having a conversation with God. Now, and I've not gotten to the making sure you're getting in the morning and spending some time with God. You've heard me say this many times. You're, you're going to pray at some point throughout the day. You're going to pray for God to give you guidance on how to start the day, or at night you're going to pray for forgiveness of how you live the day. But we pray. How do I spend that time with God? And he shows us that continually spending time with God is important. Cultivating, developing time, being a person, being a man, being a woman of prayer, talking to God, conversing with God. God is God. It shows me that it's a constant reminder of when, when I stop and say, God, thank you for this day. I have to start telling myself it's God who's given us this day. It reminds me of without him, I, I'm nothing. That in him I live and move and have my being. See, the other thing it cures is not that it's continual. It, we have to continually pray, but it, it also speaks to our pride. See, me praying on a regular basis keeps my pride in check. And if, if you say, well, I, that's one thing about me, I really don't have a pride issue, start praying. That, see, because that, that's our biggest challenge right there. The reason we don't pray, are you ready? Pride. Well, I just don't have time to pray. Holy cow. Um, and I have to be very careful how I share some things because I meet a lot of people throughout the week. But I had an individual come up to me this last week and tell me why they couldn't get certain things done. And their excuse was this. They had other important things. Now, I could have let my pride get in the way of that. But here's what I heard them saying. What, what I need to do for you is not as important, so I do something else. That's pride. That's saying, God, you're not as important to me as something else. I'm in control of this ship, Lord, until 9-11. When the 9-11 hits, we're all good with letting go of the wheel, right? We know we're out of control. We don't mind letting go of the wheel for 24 hours. But as soon as the dust settles, can I get an amen? As soon as the dust settles, we're back on it. We got it, God. I'm, I'm driving this vessel again, Lord. I'll see you in a few months. Because I promise you, you'll be talking to him in a few months. 
but, but what does this mean? What is, what is the pride issue? James tells us, humble yourself before the Lord. Prayer needs to be a time where, where you are coming before God because He is God. Humbling, humbling yourself before the Lord, it, it needs to literally be a physical act. That's why, and I'm not, I'm just talking about myself. You, you do it however you need to do it. I physically have to bow down somewhere. And I, I'm, I'm one of those people too. I like pacing when I pray. <clears throat> but if I'm not careful, when I start praying and getting a little confident, I find myself pacing like I'm somebody. And that's the other thing. I, I, I walk boldly, but it's not in my boldness, it's in His. See, when you're, when you're praying, you're building a confidence. John, go in there and pray and build your confidence up. That's wrong. It's not about me building my confidence up. It's about my confidence in Him. See, I, I, I've already got to convince myself. Now, this isn't the American dream that we, we hear of because it's all very individualistic. We, we want to be strong. We want to be powerful. We want to be able. Listen, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So I pray because it keeps that pride in check. It keeps that, that dead man dead. Uh, the Lord, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he, he started off by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Hallowed is thy name. And when you start realizing who God is, you don't walk out of a prayer time haughty. You don't walk out of a prayer time, I got this. You don't walk out of a prayer time, and, and I, I, I hope I'm not embarrassing anyone this morning, but I love it when Dr. Bucci leads any of us in prayer. Because we can be talking like this, but when he prays, he goes before God. It gets real quiet. Because my conversation is not important. What I was even thinking changes, because I realize I'm in the presence of the creator now I'll say that that's what prayer does the reason we should pray continually is, is it gives me a correct view of who I am it lets me see that I need to do this continually I need to, I need to be continual about this prayer life why because I need to continually make sure I'm killing this pride thing I cannot walk humbly before my God and humbly before my brethren with a haughty spirit. Pride comes before fall. The second thing, very quickly, it gives us a correct view of confession. I want you to listen to what Nehemiah says here because this, this flies straight in the face of how some of us feel sometimes. He says, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. you see, did you catch that? He said, we have sinned against you. He doesn't say, Lord, I confess my part of it. But Lord, we're waiting on them now. You see, un until we move away from I and move to we, <laughs> what does 2 Chronicles 7.14 say? God says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, confess their sins, then. I, I, I want to encourage you to understand that we're in this together. Yes, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, 
but we are the family of God. I know you all have your individual backgrounds and where you come from, and I, and I encourage you to, to be proud of that because God has brought you a long way and God's taken you a long way. But, but when you become not just the family, I'm going to emphasize something here. You're not just family. You're the family of God. It's different. You know, if, if, you know there's the mafia. You can be a part of that family but they live by different rules. But the family of God is different too. Um, it's tight. We need to care about each other. We need to love one another. We, it's, it's different. Because why is Nehemiah praying this we? Well, I, I've got my suspicions on a couple of levels, but here's why I know for sure. That's why if you read through First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, the Chronicles. You, if you read through those, understanding that Nehemiah had to have. If you read through those, what you begin to understand is you see some cycles. You see that that people get into trouble and out of trouble, in things and out of things, and that's how they ended up in bondage. And so he's simply saying, God, please forgive us. We constantly broke your commandments. Yes, Lord, even I and my family, Lord, we've all messed it up. This wasn't just about him covering his tracks to make sure he was okay with God. And I know in the Western world, we make this very personal, our personal relationship with Jesus. But can I tell you what, that's, what that creates if we're not careful? A constant us and them. A constant, I confess my sins, what about you? Lord, we all know that this would go so much better if Pastor Corey would confess his sins. Lord, we all know this would go great if Josh would just straighten up. Hello? Got a lot of amens on that, Josh. <clears throat> here's, here's, here's what I do know, though. He doesn't say if the associates or if the pastor, but if my people. Because, see, God's about a people. God's about a family. Now, do I have to be responsible and, and hold myself accountable? Absolutely. But what if we started, instead of praying, God, straighten them up. And instead of marriage counseling, God, touch my wife, please. What if marriage counseling sounded more like this? God, forgive us. Lord, I and we, we've blown it. We've missed it, God. Help us. Lord, yes, help me to be the man you've called me to be, but, but forgive us. He made it a we confession. Now, he doesn't go through a lot of the details. Why? Because confession is not about making sure you've got all the details. Confession, confession is admitting you're wrong. Boy, how we struggle with that. Here's what confession is. In the, in the legal sense, confession is... And do you see that it's not God throughout the word of God never does that good cop, bad cop with anybody. God doesn't put you in a room and, and beat you down for 24 hours. Preachers do that, not God. Right? Have you ever been in a service? Don't raise your hands on this one, by the way. Have you ever been in a service where you're like, if he'll just shut up, I'll pray. If he'll pray right now, I'll, just, I'll raise my hand. Yes, I give my life to the Lord, now let me out of here. That's called a forced confession. And if you don't think forced confessions can't happen, 
That can happen. People just, they'll say whatever they have to say to get you out of their face. God never does that for a couple of reasons. Number one, when you're in the presence of God, you don't feel, you will not want to defend anything. That's why Isaiah in chapter 6 said, standing in the temple and in the train, filled the temple and the seraphims and cherubims were crying out, holy, 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 and all Isaiah could do was say, whoa, I'm messed up. I don't even deserve to be here. God didn't have to beat it out of him. He just had to show up. What does that mean for us? Don't, don't worry about trying to straighten people out. Just, just love on them. What does confession mean? It's just admitting you're wrong. What does confession mean? Whatever God says, I agree with him. And if he says this is wrong, I confess. Uh, we've been doing a study in First John on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. And Dr. Bucci uh, went through this again very quickly. Uh, I think for my uh, personal need in the class this morning. But he just sort of recapped on some uh, chapter 1 of 1 John this morning. And in the last part of that, if, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. Now that's sort of in your face. Okay? I know people who would fight over that phrase. You call me a liar? Say it again. Paul said it a lot, actually. Paul says, you, you, you think you don't have sin in your life? You're lying through your teeth. But if we confess, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wonder what it would be like if, if every day we prayed and not only did it, did it challenge us to realize who we really are and it put our pride in perspective and it made us looking toward Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. I, I wonder what would happen if we just lived so authentically before God that our life of confession was, Lord, please forgive me. Um, what does confession for us mean very quickly for, for each other? Well, first of all, let me just encourage, encourage this. Confession, number one, to God is what we're talking about here, but it's good for you because if you just keep trying to hide something, it will eat you up. Don't confuse your holy, don't, don't confuse holy discontent with conviction. Conviction will eat you alive. But all you have to do is, God, I'm wrong. Well, Pastor, what if it's a habitual thing in my life and, and I know it's wrong and I've prayed about it before, but then I just keep doing it. That, that's where, listen, I'm, this is not a commercial. Get into a grace group. Get a good friend that you can trust and become so close to that person that you can finally start saying, you know, I'm struggling with the computer and I need you to help me, hold me accountable. Because if I'm not careful and I have, I have a, a bad day or a low time, and, and men, listen, ladies, I'm not trying to cause division. I'll talk to anybody that, that needs this after church. Because so, sometimes accountability, our, our wives want to know everything we think and everything we do. I know I'm going to get on some thin ice here for a second. So let me skate quickly. This isn't about having secrets. This is about being accountable. If you've royally messed up against someone, then there needs to be confession so they can trust you're working on it. 
But if you mess up and you confess, whoever they're confessing to, whichever way this is going, please, for instance, if, if a man comes to me, I'm just being wide open honest with you. If a man comes to me and says, you know, Pastor, I've been having these thoughts. And, you know, I just need prayer. Well, let's pray. And I'm going to hold you accountable. Okay. And then that man goes home and says, I just prayed with the pastor. What would you pray about? Well, you know, I just told him I've been having thoughts. What thoughts? I need you to break that down for me right now. Why don't you pray with me? That's why he doesn't pray with you. Because it's going to turn into World War III for him doing something that's biblical. I'm messing you up. I know I am. Because I know, I know what every woman in here is thinking right now. Oh, no, he didn't. Because I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to know everything you think. <clears throat> well, if you want to. Um, but let me just back this up again. If, if you say you were without a bad thought, you are a liar. And so, I, you know, so I'm not trying to make... Uh, how many husbands out there are already thinking, God, this afternoon is going to be rough. I don't even, I just think I'm going with a pastor the rest of the day. <laughs> See, I can talk like this. My wife's in children's church. <laughs> this isn't about starting something. It's about learning how to solve something. Because if, if, if somebody doesn't trust each other, listen, you've got to work through that trust. I'm on a whole different subject, I know, but we've got to work through that trust. But, but let me tell you something. God's not going to move you into a holy discontent if he can't trust you to be open with your relationships. Now this, I'm, I'm not talking about, so here's what I'm not talking about. Every time you have a stupid thought, hey honey, I had another stupid thought. Um, I just, I just, I wanted you to know first, because that way you would be miserable the rest of the day. Because <laughs> how, that's how that works. So when we talk about confession, here, let me just lay it out to you this way. If nobody knows that your stupid thought, confess it to God. If, if you sinned against someone, go to them and apologize. But don't get on a ridiculous kick of every time you have a bad thought about someone, hey, Josh, I just want to apologize. I had another bad thought about you. It's, a, it's an anger thing, so just please forgive me. Why should I... And then he'll walk around the rest of the day. My God, I'm, what did I do to the pastor? Um, I, I probably shouldn't even go near him, I think, maybe. No, it's pray. Pray. And now listen, if you're wrestling with something, get a friend. Get into a group. Um, I'm, I'm going to stick on this marriage thing for two more minutes. Ladies, instead of going home and wearing out your husband about four girlfriends you got and all the stupid things they do, and mad that he won't say something back. Um, I'll guarantee that if you tried to pray to Christ as much as you try to talk to your husband, I'm just saying. Uh, husbands, before, before you ever try to have a conversation with your wife and speak your mind, have the mind of Christ. Spend some time. Now, now Why? Pastor, you sure, sure are pushing, pushing this prayer thing. Well, yeah, think about how much different your life would be if you would have started every day with prayer.
Think of how different our lives would be if we would have really sought God on every decision. Not that God can't bring things back together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But I'll guarantee you God's got a plan for your life. It's us just trusting and obeying. That's why Nehemiah was not afraid to say, forgive us. We've blown it. We've messed up. The third thing is it gives us a correct, prayer gives us a correct view of God. Now, I don't have a lot of time here. But here's what I want you to just get from this this morning. Stop praying for what you want. And just start praying his word. See, God, God planted this holy discontent. He heard the news from Jerusalem and it broke his spirit. It broke him. But I want you to hear how he prayed because he did not pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, go do something. He said, remember the word that you commanded, God? Remember what you said, Lord? Now, this is not out of arrogance. This is not us going to God, Lord, you said it. Now, you better do it. No. He he calls out to God and confesses his sin. And the only thing he has to stand on is not his confidence, not his boldness, not his ability. God, you said. Lord, remember you said through your servant Moses that if we're unfaithful, you'll scatter us. But God, if, if we're faithful, you'll bring everything back together. God, God, you said it. So please do it as we walk this out. Please do it. See, I, I begin to pray. I, I ask for things differently. I know there's a lot of different teachings on, on how to ask and get what you want. But here's what I found out. Sometimes with what you, when you get what you want, it's not what you thought. And it's not even so much that God gives you everything you want. I'm almost hesitant to throw out, he always answers our prayers. You know, sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no, and sometimes it's a wait. I found that when I'm in a waiting position with God, it's not that the answers change, it's my heart changes. I did get my wife's permission to share this this morning. You ever, you remember back in high school when you said, man, Lord, please, I want to marry that girl. And God didn't answer your prayer. Aren't you glad? Now, when I shared that illustration with my wife, it just hit me. That's that's when we met. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't ask her. Maybe I shouldn't ask her if she wishes she would have prayed more. But can I tell you that you, you would be amazed at the things you begin to ask Now, just put this in line. Put this in in context. God, I realize who I am. I'm going to continually pour myself out to you, wailing and weeping. That's not just acts of emotion. That's a humbling experience. Humble yourself before the Lord. It's the idea of realizing that who you really are before him is nothing. That goes against our American dream, I know. Because we all want to be somebody. Paul says things like, I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. I wonder what it would look like if we started prayer with getting a good view of who we are, a correct view of who we are, a correct view of confession, 
Lord, here's what it's really all about. Forgive me. Again. Walk in accountability. But God, I'm going to pray your word. Because Lord, if I faithfully am following you, if I'm faithfully living this out, and we're not talking about perfection here because we all know that, that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but we also know that none of us are righteous. No, not one. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can even be cleansed. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are free. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we have an opportunity to even make a difference in someone's life. But then he, he, God tells us that we can be the light of the world. Jesus says you are the light of the world. And through Jesus Christ, we can go out and make a difference in people's lives. Now, what does that look like? The last point, very quickly. Prayer gives us a correct view of our opportunities. What do I mean there? Nehemiah did not say, God, please, we need a miracle. I pray for Jerusalem. I just, Lord, I stretch my hand out that way right now, and I pray that you would move over those people. Lord, supernaturally build a wall. Lord, supernaturally let there be gates in Jesus' name. You know what all that is saying? Lord, you do it, please. Don't make me do anything. But here's what he prayed for. Lord, give me success and mercy with whom I'm about to meet. Um... We'll hit on this next week. He, he was the cupbearer. He had influence. But he knew for him to do what God was leading him to do, a lot of things would have to change. So he would need success as he took those steps forward. And, and I'm not pointing at anyone in this room, but a lot of times we have the idea that success is we learn how to pray for miracles and have faith that we'll, God will do something. We will do nothing but get the credit. Man, every time he prays, there's a miracle. Well, I'm sure there are people out there with, with miraculous miracles in their resume. But here's what I have found out in most cases. You're the miracle, and God's just waiting to release you. It's your faith. Uh, as we'll see in a few, in a few weeks, it, it's not, Nehemiah wasn't even saying, well, Lord, I'll take, I'll take that step of faith when I have the resources. No, see, God's already got a, God already got resources lined up for you. He just needs you to be willing to embrace an opportunity. See, that, that's why in this passage, it's not about Nehemiah praying for a miracle. It's about Nehemiah praying for an opportunity. Lord, you put this in my spirit. And God, whatever it is I'm doing, I'm going to start praying about it like I've never prayed about it before. Don't pray about it just to get rid of the guilt. Pray about it I encourage you this week to start lives of prayer. Now, now please listen. I, if you're a prayer warrior, just don't listen to me. But if you've been struggling with your prayer life, I want to encourage you just in the morning when you get up, take 10 minutes. Oh, you have 10 minutes in the morning. Listen, you may have to make 10 minutes, but don't tell me you can't. Because you can do anything you want to. You already do everything you want to. We, our struggle is preference. We become people of preference. Well, I prefer to do this, this, because it fits my schedule. I'm, I'm asking you not to prefer your schedule. I'm asking you to take the first 10 minutes, the first 15 minutes of your morning, 
If you're like me, it may take 30. Because the first 15 minutes of my day are more like eyes rolled back, waiting for breath to kick in. Right? On the other hand, whatever your time is, I encourage you to take time. Just read the Word. Start with the book of John. Read 1 John. Dr. Bucci sends you all kind of notes if you're in that class. Just reread. Go, go and listen to this sermon again online. I, the reason I want you to read, you will learn so much more when you personally read. Well, I can't stand reading. Learn to read. We'll teach you to read. Hide his words in your heart. But just read that simple scripture, but then just talk to God. If you don't know what to say, just start confessing stuff. You'll have plenty to say. Just start telling him what you wrestle with, how you feel about people. And then you'll start feeling, wow, maybe I shouldn't feel that way about people. That's him talking back. I'll, I'll guarantee you that whatever God's laid on your heart, you'll start giving time to that and thinking about that. And the reason I'm saying that is I'm praying that this, that this sim simple series that we're walking through is going to move you from a lethargic existence to God's going to start calling you to things that you would have never thought you were part of. Because see, revival doesn't start in here. It, it's a, a revival that, that has a move of God on it, impacts cities, impacts communities, impacts industries, impacts nations. And, and not even the way we think. And God wants to use you to do it. Do you believe that? God wants to use you to do it. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, I'm almost done. Somebody say amen. You guys got to get better at that. I'll keep going if you don't say it better than that. Here's, here's what I want to encourage you. When you leave here today, you're not too old, you're not too lost, and you're not too done. God still has a plan for your life. It may not look exactly like you thought it was going to look like, but I'm telling you, I, I, I need you to understand this. When you just start praying about that thing that God has put in you and you don't know what that next step looks like, you can't even get your mind around it at times, just begin to pray. And as we're going to see, as we continue to study Nehemiah, let's all stand. As we're going to see, it's going to be amazing how God just begins, we're not all be doing it and moving in the same direction at times. God's doing some things in you that he may not do in others, but I promise you, as we're walking it out, I, I'm expecting some powerful stories about where God is leading you what God is doing, how he's using you. Amen? Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, right now, if there's anyone here this morning who has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, they've, they've never really reached out and said, Lord, I surrender my life to you. They've never really said, Lord, here I am. Use me. Lord, I pray that they, they take that step this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we come before you and confess that you are Lord. We come before you and confess that we are sinners. Lord, we have sinned. But through Jesus Christ, forgive us of our sins. Lord, as, even as we leave this place today, Lord, I pray that we walk in confidence, but not in ourselves, in you. I pray, Lord, that there's a, a holy boldness, but not in our abilities in you. A God who will and a God who can move on behalf of his people. 
Lord, help us to, to live according to your word. Help us to pray according to your word. And Lord, I just continue today to just pray, God, that, that this holy thing that you have birthed in us, this, this discontent, this restlessness, this, this uncomfortable move that's taking place in some of our lives, God, I pray that we realize it comes with a cost. Lord, you tell us that anyone who would follow you would deny himself, take up his cross, and follow you. You even say, Lord, that, that we would hate our father and our mother, our brother, our sister, our husband, our wife, our children. Lord, you don't mean that we would despise them. You are just simply saying, we must put you first in every area of our life. So we confess, Lord, we've not done that. We confess, Lord, that we've not put you first. But today, Lord, <laughs> we realize who we are. We lay aside our pride. We lay aside our preferences. And we say, you are Lord. Be Lord of our life, God. Lord, I pray that you be Lord of our relationships. Be Lord of our ministries. Be Lord of our businesses. Be Lord of our positions. Be Lord of every aspect of our lives. And Lord, that holy discontent that you put in us, God. Lord, as we draw closer to you, move us closer to it. Now, Father, I just pray that you go with us. Bless us, Father. Lord, I pray that you bless every conversation. I pray that you open eyes. I pray, God, that you melt hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, use us this week. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. If you need special prayer, uh, we encourage you to come forward for prayer. Um, but if you desire, you can't be dismissed at this time. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you want to hear more, you can find our entire archive on our website at graceriverva.com. Also, if this message has touched you in any way, we would love to connect with you. Do this by filling out a connection card at graceriverva.com connect. From all of us at Grace River Church, have a blessed day.